think self-compassion is really the key to that. If you can remember that you're a human being and everybody has these kinds of experiences where you didn't do something as well as you were hoping to, um, that can help you to calm down. And then you're in a much better position to think in a realistic way, what could I do next time that might help this go better? But, you know, if you think about turning this on someone else, maybe somebody that you really care about, I think you can see much more clearly that this, this kind of really harsh beating up on yourself doesn't help. We think it does. That's because we have such a low opinion of ourselves sometimes. We think that we have to be really hard on ourselves to get us to do anything. But, in fact... Most people thrive much better with a kinder approach that's constructive and helpful. What is going on, everybody? Thank you so much for joining yours truly, Ryan Caligiuri, on this week's episode of Cut the Crap Podcast, where every single week I'm reading a book condensing it down to its core golden nuggets. I'm bringing the author on the show to have a conversation about the golden nuggets. And I'm here every single week just trying to save you a little bit of time and bring you some information that could spark real change in your life. If you love the show, then please go online, rate and review the show when you do. Take a screen capture of it, send it to podcast at ryancalajuri.com. Now, if you're listening on a different platform that doesn't allow you to rate or review the show, then, then please just send me an email to podcast at ryancalajuri.com and I'll make sure you get entered in the draw every quarter for a prize. This quarter's prize... Not sure what it is yet, but if it's like anything like last quarter's prizes, we gave away some laptops, we gave away some uh, Google Home, we gave away $1,000 cash, the prizes are good. So get your ratings in, get your reviews in, it'll make sure you get entered in the draw for the prize, and if you've already done it, you're already entered in. Also, don't forget to connect with me on uh, LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. If you want to see what Ryan's doing throughout the week, then please give me a follow there. This past weekend on Instagram, I was uh, detailing uh, a certain hill that I put myself on and running 20K in 112 degree Fahrenheit or 44 degree Celsius weather. And I wanted to push myself to test my mind. But if you don't follow me, you wouldn't have been able to see that. I was doing that on Instagram. So give me a follow on Instagram and you'll see what I've been up to throughout the week and the kind of challenges I put myself through. Also, don't forget to go to cutthecrappodcast.com, sign up for the summaries. You'll get a PDF summary in your inbox in July with, I think, about eight summaries in them. So please don't forget to do that as well. All right, so this week, what are we talking about? We're talking to Ruth Bayer about her book, The Practicing Happiness Workbook, how mindfulness can free you from your four psychological traps that keep you stressed, anxious, and depressed. Well, geez, when you put it like that, who everyone wants to read this one. Nobody wants to be depressed. Nobody wants to be anxious. Nobody wants to be stressed. So how can we go about removing some of those stressors from our life? Well, Ruth talks about this in the interview, and it really comes down to this idea of being mindful. Mindfulness. And I was really interested in this because we don't hear too much about mindfulness and being mindful and getting off this thing called autopilot. And I talked about this before on the podcast where autopilot to me can be a positive thing but a very negative thing. And I find that in most cases a very negative thing because we just run on autopilot, we allow these problems to persist, we allow these stressors to persist, and as a result, they just compound on one another until we just don't know what to do and we're almost paralyzed by it. So this week we talk about these different stressors that come about and how we can deal with them, and I really enjoyed this book, really enjoyed talking to Ruth, and I hope that there's some good notes here, some good takeaways that you might sit and ponder on a little bit deeper and maybe drive some impact in your life. But in any case, let's crack right into this one. Again, this is the Practicing Happiness Workbook, how mindfulness can free you from your four psychological traps that keep you stressed, anxious, and depressed. I'll catch you back here at the end of the episode. Enjoy. Ruth, how are you doing today? 
Hi, I'm good. Thanks. Well, thanks so much for making time to come on the show. And thanks so much for making time for myself and uh, everyone out there in Cut the Crap Podcast Nation. We're very excited to talk to you today and dig a little bit deeper into this thing called mindfulness, right? We all, yeah. we all, we all want to be happy, right? We all want to be fulfilled. We all want to have meaningful lives, but we always struggle to do that. So I love to bring stimulus to everyone out there and Cut the Crap Podcast Nation every week that'll help them perhaps find their happiness and give them some techniques, some strategies in order to do that better. So before we get into the book, maybe tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do, and why you wrote the book in the first place. Okay. Well, um, I'm a psychology professor. I've spent most of my career at the University of Kentucky in Lexington, Kentucky. And now I'm doing a lot of work with the Oxford Mindfulness Center at Oxford University in England. And I've been interested in mindfulness for a good long time now, I would say close to 20 years. And um, I got into it because I just needed to for my professional work. I just felt like I had to learn it to teach students. But then I discovered that it was really having quite a significant impact on me as a person and my quality of life. And so then I got really fascinated with it and I really dug into it from both a research perspective, teaching and uh, my own personal mindfulness practice. Mm, Very good. And I guess that kind of breaks us into the first golden nugget. Golden nugget number one, which let's figure out what this thing called mindfulness is first off. So what is mindfulness and why is it important that we learn to be mindful? Okay, well, mindfulness is basically a way of paying attention. It means focusing your awareness in the present moment, whatever's going on in the present moment. And really important, it has a certain attitude about it. So it's uh, friendly, it's compassionate, curious and interested, uh, no matter if the present moment is pleasant or unpleasant or just neutral. Um, Mindful awareness is present focused and it's got this friendly, curious attitude. So... Um, So why is that important? Well, it turns out that um, if we learn how to do that, especially in the difficult moments, then we start handling our difficult moments a lot better. But we also get a lot more out of our really pleasant, enjoyable moments. So we don't miss them. So we don't miss the good parts and we handle the bad parts better than we would otherwise. So let's talk about maybe an example here. So there's a lot of people out here who work for bosses who are listening yep. to Cut the Crap podcast right now. They work for bosses and maybe they're working with a really terrible boss and their boss demeans them, kind of breaks them down a little bit and they, they go back to their office afterwards and this this continuously plays over in their mind and they, 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 they challenge their own self-worth. They don't think that they're worthy enough to do the job. Um, they wish they were somewhere else. They continue to give themselves this stress. So how does being mindful, how does this um, attitude of friendly curiosity help prepare them or deal with some stressors that come about? Yeah, well, that's a really painful situation to be in. And when you're in that situation, it's completely understandable that you would want to be trying to escape it or avoid it, put it out of your mind somehow. But um, a lot of times that attitude causes things to get worse instead of better. So, um, you know, if you're just obsessing over it over and over in your mind, that might make you feel worse. Or if you decide to, you know, charge up your credit card or drink too much (laughs) as a way of putting it out of your mind, that can make you feel worse. If you're paying attention, you have a much better shot at um, figuring out something that would be helpful or constructive to do in this painful situation and uh, maybe giving yourself a little bit of understanding and validation for the fact that this really is a painful situation. Right. So you say that most people for the most part are 
on autopilot when things happen to them and they don't necessarily take a mindful approach to dealing with some of their challenges? Yeah, I think that's a really common pattern. And I think just about everybody is susceptible to it. I think we're all mindful at times and Mm -hmm. some people and others. It seems that being mindful will help us avoid so much more stress. Yet, for some reason, we are all stuck on autopilot. Through all your research, is there a reason for that? Have you found anything as to why humans interact that way? Well, I think it's because autopilot is actually a really helpful thing. It's a part of human nature, and I think it's built into us for good reasons, which is that we need to be able to do things automatically. Otherwise, we wouldn't be able to function in normal life without doing things automatically. You know, like driving your car. It's a good thing that you don't have to actually think about shifting the gears and stuff like that. Um, So it's really helpful under many circumstances, but there are situations where it gets us into trouble And those are usually the situations where there's some sort of painful emotion or stressful circumstance going on. I always struggle with that, uh, the idea of the autopilot. And and the more I think about that idea of being on autopilot, the more scary it gets. You know, when you have certain problems that come up in life, you sometimes can just easily go to bed, wake up the next morning. And I don't know if some people can do this, but just kind of forget about it. Leave it in the back of your head. And yet that problem is still there. You haven't solved yeah. it yet. It's still there. Um, but yeah. yet your autopilot continues to just push you along. And the more you ignore that problem, the worse it gets. And the longer that stress stays over your head. And it can be a very scary thing. So that actually breaks us into that golden nugget number two because we've talked a lot about problems. So this idea mm-hmm. of the problem-solving mode. You know, we all essentially, whenever we face a challenge, we all like to approach it in a problem-solving kind of frame of mind. So tell us a little bit about what that problem-solving mode is about and how we should approach it. Uh, Well, the problem-solving mode is based on uh, the idea that there is some kind of discrepancy between the way things are and the way we want them to be. And so uh, we launch into doing something to try to get things to be the way we want them to be. So if when that's constructive, that means we start thinking about, okay, what's really going on here and what are some possibilities that I could do about it? And uh, then we start working on trying to get things closer to how we want them to be. And there's a lot of problems where that's a really helpful thing to do. So when you do problem-solving mode, is there anything bad about running, jumping into problem-solving mode all of a sudden? Or is this a good thing? Well, I think it's always helpful to, well, usually helpful to <laughs> pause, pause for a moment or two and just think, is this a good, is this a good situation for problem-solving mode? The main, the main problem with problem-solving mode is that there are times when the problem can't be solved or there's something that has to be accepted what it is because it can't be changed. So, you know, if you're feeling really nervous about a presentation that you have to do, it could be totally normal that you're feeling nervous. And so maybe feeling nervous isn't really that much of a problem. Maybe it would make more sense to just recognize in this situation, it is perfectly normal to mm-hmm. be nervous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's, that's kind of the key there is that we always try to look for a different way to solve a certain problem. It's, it's quite a logical approach and it makes sense, but sometimes it just doesn't work. And so if we hang on to this problem-solving mode strategy, it can actually lead us to figure out how to change a situation even when pushing for change isn't needed. That's kind of how I look at it. And the example of yeah. you know you being nervous for a presentation, that might just be the way it is and you have to accept it. And 
if you always approach things in this problem-solving manner, I think it's good. But like I said, it can also be a bad thing. And in your example of using the the um, you're nervous for a speech, there might be different techniques that you use, but you just might be nervous and coming to this um, place of mindfulness and saying, listen, I'm nervous for a reason, and that's okay. I can be nervous. Um, yes. Then I think that turns it into a positive. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, uh, yes. Well, it it still might not be the most fun thing you ever did to be nervous, <laughs> but, but you know, you can accept the reality that you're nervous and it's normal, and I think it does have a much more positive feel to it. Once you recognize that nervousness is normal, you don't have to get rid of it, and it doesn't have to control you. You can sort of peacefully coexist with it and go on with whatever it is you need to do. Mm-hmm. I think um, a lot of people find that kind of empowering. Yeah, that's very true. No, I would definitely call that empowering. And I I think I've been there, and Cut the Crap Podcast Nation, I'm sure you've been there as well, where yeah. we've actually come to terms with some of these things and, and, and realized that there's certain problems that we have and, and just coming to terms with them and accepting them. And uh, yeah. I think that's that's what life is all about. It's, it's just solving certain problems, but coming to terms with certain other ones. And for me, whenever I do speaking engagements, I still get nervous. And people say, you've done yeah. so many. Why are you nervous? You're still nervous? How does a guy like you get nervous? It just it just <laughs> happens. And I'm okay with yeah. it. And I'm sure the same yeah. is true for you. Whenever you get up and you speak to yeah. you know a, a whole room of people, you're going to get nervous and it's okay. Yep. I still get nervous and it's okay. That's, that's right. exactly right. So now, now let's let's actually break right into the psychological traps because I know everyone out there is interested in learning what these psychological traps are and okay. how we can avoid them. So falling back on old problem-solving strategies can actually lead us into four problematic thought patterns or psychological traps, as you say. But yeah. mindfulness can help us really set them aside. So the first one, which is golden nugget number three, rumination. So yeah. people tend to ruminate about how badly they feel or how hard their challenges are, and they dwell on events and outcomes that went wrong in the past. So mm-hmm. why is ruminate? Well, I ask a silly question, but I have to set it up for you. But why is ruminating so bad, and how should we address it and remove it? Well, it's it's bad if it makes things worse instead of better, and that's quite often what happens. And it's, it's a trap because on the surface, it looks like it ought to help. It looks like thinking. It looks like if you think about this long enough and hard enough, you'll get to the bottom of it and then you'll be able to solve it. But in fact, rumination is an unhelpful form of thinking. It just goes round and round in your head and it doesn't lead you anywhere helpful. It just mm-hmm. takes you spiraling down into stress or depression or anxiety or something. For people who do ruminate on a regular basis, they know they do. What strategies or what can they do about it to help them kind of break that mode of, of being on autopilot where they are constantly ruminating about something that happened, a challenge, a problem? What kind of things can they do to kind of break that habit? I think the key to that is being mindfully aware of your own thought pattern so that you start paying attention to what's going on in your head. And then you'll notice as soon as you start ruminating, you'll be able to say, oh, hey, this is rumination going on here. And then you can um, stop it. Hmm. You can deliberately redirect your mind to something else. You might decide to focus on what's going on in the environment around you, Hmm. for example, or get yourself involved in something else so that you don't have to keep going down that rumination path and spiraling down. You can, you can see it. You can see it as soon as it gets started. Hmm. Tell us a little bit about the guest house, that 13th century Persian poet Rumi, uh, and, and wrote this poem. Tell us a little bit about that. Actually, I found that interesting in the book. 
Yeah, that's a really popular poem. Mindfulness teachers love it, and it's so interesting that such an old poem would now be so, uh, just seems so suitable and appropriate for this, all of these situations mm -hmm. and what's going on in the mindfulness world. The idea is to um, think of yourself as being like a guest house. If you run a good guest house, then you're welcoming to whatever guests might happen to come. So it doesn't necessarily matter if you don't happen to like them or if you get some sort of ugly guests or noisy guests or unpleasant guests in some way or other, you're welcoming to all your guests. Mm -hmm. So the idea is that that's a metaphor for um, our thoughts and feelings, you know, those kinds of experiences that come along. And the idea is we try to be welcoming to all of them, even the painful ones, unpleasant ones, you know, the bad and the ugly, we might say. Right, right. A part of this story or the lesson of this story is to be more accepting of, of whatever comes your way and just trying yeah. to keep, um, keep a, a, a positive state of mind regardless of what comes into your life. Is that kind of the takeaway from that poem? Uh, yeah, except it wouldn't necessarily have to be a positive state of mind. It's more like a accepting state of mind. But sometimes nice guests and sometimes we get nasty ones and that's just how it is. Right. And um, they don't have to control us. Mm. How do you what, what do you say to the person out there listening right now and cut the crap podcast nation where they're saying, hey, Ruth, Ryan, I get it. it. It's all about, you know, getting yourself off autopilot, you know, being present in the moment, approaching things with this, you know, friendly um, attitude of curiosity. But I got a lot of bad stuff that continues to happen to me. And I don't think being mindful helps. Um, you know, I can be this 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 wonderful person who works in this guest house and accept whatever comes, but I've been accepting a lot of negative lately and, and I just can't get out of this pattern. What kind of advice do you have for that person where for them, they're like, I don't think mindfulness helps Ryan. I don't think it helps Ruth. What would you yeah. say? Um, well, I would wonder if I think one of the great things about mindfulness is that once you have become aware of what's really going on, and you're accepting of realities that can't be changed, it can also put you in a position to be a lot more discerning about what could possibly be changed. So it can help you be more wise about when you need to go into problem-solving mode and maybe start trying to do something about a situation that's, that really should be changed or that's you know a very harmful or really difficult situation where there might actually be something that could be done about it. So maybe the balance of acceptance and change needs to be looked at a little bit. Golden nugget number four, avoidance. So this yeah. is a, this is a big one. So this is something that psychologists, they've studied this phenomenon where people, the more people try not to think about something, the more they actually think about it. So how do we better yes. deal with avoidance? Uh, yes, well, same idea as I was saying with rumination. If you're paying attention to your own habits, then you're more likely to catch yourself when you're trying to avoid something that really can't be avoided very well. And I should say that there are constructive forms of avoidance. There are certain types of healthy avoidance. So it's not that all avoidance is bad. Hmm. But if you're paying attention, I think you'll start to notice when avoidance is causing you more trouble rather than less. How do we track this? We Again, this idea of autopilot. I want people to try to break this idea of autopilot. So yeah. how can we perhaps use, I don't know, like a worksheet, for example, to help us yeah. sort of keep track of this and to kind of avoid this avoidance thing? How can, how can we do this? Yeah. Yes, avoiding, avoiding. Yeah, well, there are worksheets <laughs> in the book. Yeah, and those can actually really help you a lot with avoiding, avoiding. And I think if you fill them out a few times, then you'll sort of get the hang of it and 
maybe won't have to keep going with the actual worksheet, but you get much more you get much more self-aware so that as soon as something avoidance starts happening, you, you realize, oh, hey, that's avoidance. Maybe I should face up to this situation and see what else I could do. Mm. So essentially, again, Cut the Crap Podcast Nation, what Ruth is saying there is that um, keep track of your thoughts on a worksheet and it'll help you notice when you're using avoidance behaviors and being able to refer to a written record of, of how many times you've you've avoided something, it can help clarify perhaps what causes you to act like this. There might be certain trigger points. There might be certain themes that you realize. And by keeping track of this, it'll increase your awareness. And to me, we've talked about this before, Cut the Crap Podcast Nation. We've said this before, how important self-awareness is. And it's a yeah. great tool for building this self-awareness in case you're on autopilot and your mind is a little bit squirrely. When you start keeping track of these notes, you can go back over them and all of a sudden your mind will recognize certain patterns. You'll be able to see if there are certain situations, certain trigger points that cause you on a more regular basis to use this thing called avoidance and, and run away from things. So if yeah. you find these – so let's say somebody does that, Ruth, and they go ahead and they, they keep track of all of these different challenges and they notice patterns. Yeah. Then, then what should they do? Well, then they could take steps to uh, start creating different patterns. Hmm. And uh, that might not be the easiest thing to do. They might need to learn some new skills. But you know, once you can see what's going on, you see what you're avoiding, you can see what the consequences are. Mm -hmm. It puts you in a position to then start being smart about what you're going to do instead. Yeah, that's exactly right. It's funny. I got on the phone call um, booking a, another guest for a podcast. His name is Jocko Willink, and he's quite an interesting character. He's a former uh, Navy SEAL. And on the conversation, he was saying, well, why do you want me on the show? What is, what, what is the benefit of me coming on the show? And he's very direct and very powerful. And, and one of the things I said was, I think just people need your, your mentality. He goes, they want my mentality? He goes, this is what I would tell them. Get off your ass and focus on the big problems of your life because every single person out there is on autopilot and they're avoiding their problems. He goes, if you just think about your problems and take them on head on, he goes, that'll solve everything in your life. And I was like, holy smokes, this guy's <laughs> really intense. But it kind of it kind of comes down to that where when you – with the idea of this this avoidance worksheet. If you keep track of all these elements, maybe it's every time you get stressed out and you avoid the idea of thinking about, oh my God, I'm, I'm in massive debt or I have big relationship problems with my spouse or something along those lines and that becomes a continuous pattern. I feel that sometimes people are like, oh, the pain of change is greater than the pain of staying the same. So I think I'm going to keep this. I know it's a problem. I keep avoiding it, but I think it's going to make me happier and like like what you're saying, what Jocko's saying, it's don't run away from these things. Attack them head on. You have one life to live, so do what you possibly can to live the most happiest life that you possibly can. So if these constant problems keep creeping up and putting stress on your life, you have to deal with them. Is that right? Well, I think the key thing about mindfulness is it puts you in a position to choose. Mm. So once you can actually see it, you might see it the way you were just describing that, hey, I have got to do something about like this. I've got to face up to it. But you could choose not to. You could say, no, I'm putting that one back on the back burner. Mm. It puts you in a position to choose. That's the key thing. And that's, again, and that's again very empowering to yeah. have the ability to actually choose. So I love mm -hmm. that. Great takeaway. Golden nugget number five, emotion-driven behavior. So talk yeah. to us about the ebb and flow and how we can best manage our emotions. Yeah, well, I think recognizing that we have emotions for reasons, they're built into human nature because they're actually really helpful to us. 
And so rather than try to get rid of the difficult ones, if we can learn to understand why they're there and what they mean and what they're trying to do for us, that can really help us with the ebb and flow. And then that helps us really cut back on all the emotion-driven behavior that causes problems because we don't have this immediate need to just get rid of it if it's a painful emotion. We can say, hey, I've got that emotion for some reason. Let me take a look at this. What's going on here? I'll, I'll, you know what? I'll use myself as an example. I'm a very okay. emotional person. Uh, yeah. People know this about me. That's why they love me, right? I bring my energy. Yeah. I bring my enthusiasm out. But sometimes there's certain people that I work with that I have a very high rapport with where sometimes they'll do something that just completely surprises me. And I'll say, what is – what are you thinking? Why would you do that? What? We have rapport, so it's okay. We can mm -hmm. have conflict. Um, but at the same time, I react emotionally. And I say, hold yeah. on, hold on. I got to relax for a second. I'm, I'm fairly mindful of this. So I'm like, hold on. Yeah. We are not going to solve anything. Let's just take five seconds. Breathe. All right. Yeah. Let's go. Let's go at this. So yeah. I, I've, I've come to terms with the fact that I'm very emotional. I can stop myself. But there's some people out there where they react emotionally and it can become a very negative thing where mm. maybe, you know, they get scared and all of a sudden they freeze up or somebody says something that annoys them and they just jump down their throats. How can they avoid doing that? Because that could put them in a really bad position. And maybe if not at work, with their family, with their spouses, with their kids, with their mom, with their dad, with their brother, with their sister. And they just react emotionally. Yes. What, yes. What, right. What, what yeah. kind of things oh. can we do to avoid that? Yeah. Well, um, I think if you start small, recognizing when you have an urge to do something that you're going to regret later, and then practicing mindful awareness of the urge and not acting on it. So in the book, there's some simple exercises that people can try for sort of easier urges. And then you sort of work your way up so that after a while you get to the point where something is really pushing your buttons and you have a very strong urge to yell at somebody or to do something that's really going to cause a lot of trouble down the road. And you develop over time the skills for recognizing that that's what's happening. And then you have that moment there where you can pause, take a breath, step back and then decide what you're gonna do instead of reacting in this mindless, automatic way. Hmm. Give us an example of some of these urges and some of these, maybe an example from the book that, uh, that listeners might be able to take away from this. If there's gonna come a point where you have the urge to spit. And hmm. if you could notice, hey, okay, now I'm having the urge to spit, I'm just gonna pause and not spit right now. Hmm. And you can feel what it feels like to have the urge to spit in him. Your body is telling you, hey, it's time to spit. But you don't actually have to. Hmm. So you can do things like that. Or you can put a piece of food in front of you that you really like. And you're going to have a strong urge to eat it probably. And you can just sit there and observe the urge and not eat it. Or you can work with things that happen naturally. Like if you get an itchy mosquito bite or something, you're going to have really strong urges to scratch it. So... You could practice having an urge but not acting on it. It's something that I truly believe in where I'll set up these little mental exercises for myself. And anyone out there listening to Cut the Crap Podcast Nation, if you follow me on social media, Instagram especially, then you'll know that I do this all the time where I'll set myself up with these little, I don't know what you want to call them, mental exercises where I'll, I'll constantly challenge myself. So I did one just yesterday where it was um, 44 degrees Celsius uh, here or 112 degrees Fahrenheit. And it was really hot, really humid. And I said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to push myself to run 10K Ooh. to the gym, work out at the gym, and then run 10K back home. So 20K in the day. Um, wow. right in the middle of the heat. And everyone's like, well, that's crazy. You shouldn't do that. And I, I, I'm telling you right now, I'm in, I'm, in, I'm in good shape. So I know my limits. But I know mm -hmm. that at some point, my mind's going to say, turn back, Ryan. 
quit. Mm. Don't do mm. this. Get off this hill. Stop running. You're too tired. Go home. You know, watch TV instead and put your feet up in, in your nice home with uh, air conditioning on. But I do this because I want to push myself through the challenging times because I liken that to life. If I can get over this artificial hill that I built for myself, then when the big mountains come in life, I'll be more prepared to deal with them. So very mm -hmm. similar approach to what you're saying here is that, listen, there are certain urges that you might have, such as the urge to spit. If you become conscious of that and say, nope, I'm going to swallow it instead and I'm not going to spit, <laughs> then that's one little exercise that you can do to conquer an urge. Or another one, like you said, put a piece of dessert in front of you or a piece of food and hold back from eating it. That's another way of conquering your urge. I feel like that gives you some more mental strength in order to deal with more urges. So if you start small like that and you slowly build, then all of a sudden you become a lot stronger mentally and you're able to control your emotions a lot better than somebody who maybe hasn't put themselves through those artificial uh, experiments. Well, they're not even artificial, they're real experiments. Yeah. Yeah. And then always just remember that mindfulness is giving you the ability to choose. So you might choose that you're going to spit eventually, or you might choose that you're going to eat that piece of cake. But the point is, it's your choice. That's right. So you, you get to choose. That's exactly right. I really love that one. Great, great, great techniques. And for anyone out there in Cut the Crap Podcast Nation that wants to dig deeper into some of those exercises, um, I would strongly encourage you to start exploring those exercises um, throughout the day, throughout the week, throughout your month. And start making these these artificial scenarios for yourself. Because again, this is all about building a stronger mind, building mindfulness. And uh, to me, this is really, really important. I really love that takeaway, Ruth. So our last golden nugget here, golden nugget number six. I want you to talk to us about this idea of self-criticism. Because I can okay. see self-criticism as being a good thing, but can also yeah. be very harmful. So talk to us about yeah. self-criticism and the importance of understanding acceptance. Yeah, well, okay, so the main thing about criticism is that there's constructive forms of criticism. We all need that if we're going to learn anything or improve anything we do. We need constructive criticism. But then there's unconstructive criticism that really just makes things worse. So I think if we're working with somebody else, we tend to give them constructive criticism. But when we're criticizing ourselves, we tend to be really harsh and very judgmental in a way that actually tends to make things worse a lot of the time. So we just tell ourselves we're a complete idiot or we made a complete mess of something instead of getting specific about what actually went wrong and how could it be better the next time. Mm. So, so the thing about self-criticism is you don't want to completely get rid of it. You just want to make it constructive so that you can still recognize when you maybe did something not as well as you could have, but you can think in a helpful way about how to do it better the next time. So for people out there who are very critical of themselves, again, being mindful of it. So let's just use this as an example where uh, somebody goes up on stage, they do a presentation and they fumble, they falter, they, they forget certain aspects of their presentation. They get off and they sit in the back room and they're looking at themselves in the mirror saying, you are such an idiot. Why would you Oh, you should have practiced more. How could you screw this up? You practiced this like 20 times. You did this flawlessly. And of course, the moment you're on stage, everyone's there in front of you. The lights are on you. The cameras are recording. You screw it up. What an idiot. You, yeah, you keep screwing up this way. They're really hard on themselves, right? They're really yeah. hard on themselves. So now someone's in this really emotionally charged state. How do they get out of this? And how do they turn this around and to be a positive for them? I think self-compassion is really the key to that. If you can remember that you're a human being and everybody has these kinds of experiences where you didn't do something as well as you were hoping to, um, that can help you to calm down 
And then you're in a much better position to think in a realistic way, what could I do next time that might help this go better? But, you know, if you think about turning this on someone else, maybe somebody that you really care about, I think you can see much more clearly that this, this kind of really harsh beating up on yourself doesn't help. We think it does. It's because we have such a low opinion of ourselves sometimes. We think that we have to be really hard on ourselves to get us to do anything. But in fact, most people thrive much better with a kinder approach that's constructive and helpful. Right. I, I almost look at it as, as um, both a positive and a negative because I've always been like that where I've always been very dissatisfied and I continue to to live my life, and it's this sounds very bad for everyone out there listening, Cut the Crap Podcast Nation, Ruth, yourself included, but I always live life in kind of a dissatisfied mode where I'm always very dissatisfied by how I am um, doing certain things. Now, I'm very grateful for what I have, my friends, yeah. my family, my health, uh, my career, the knowledge that I have, very grateful. But at the same time, mm-hmm. I know that I can always be better. Yeah. So here's here's the difference, though is that I'm not criticizing myself in a very negative fashion. That I'm saying, Ryan, you're better than this. You can do better. And in my mind, I'm having this conversation with myself. I'm like, you're right. I can do better. Mm -hmm. I'm going to attack this better next time. I screw up all the time, all the time. (laughs) But I have more positive self-talk where I said, yeah, I screwed up. But you know what? Not the end of the world. I'm going to do better next time. I still feel the pain, but I have more positive self-talk. And I feel like that's where you want people to get to, is to have this mindfulness, this self-awareness to be able to say, yeah, listen, I screwed up, but at the same time, I know that this is just a human trait. People screw up all the time, and that's okay. Is that correct? And that's okay, yes, right. So if you want to aspire to excellence, you're going to have to work at it really hard, and you're going to have screw-ups. This is part of the deal. Mm -hmm. So... Yeah, if you can tell yourself, look, screw-ups are part of aspiring for excellence, and I'm going to handle this in a healthy, constructive way, I think that can really help you a lot. Absolutely. And everybody out there listening to Cut the Crap Podcast Nation, failure, screw-ups, they are all a part of the process of success. So if you start failing, if you start having these little screw-ups here and there, don't worry about it. Just learn from it, improve, and move forward. Yeah, with a little bit of kindness, I think that really helps. Absolutely. Absolutely. The Practicing Happiness Workbook, how mindfulness can free you from your four psychological traps that keep you stressed, anxious, and depressed. Ruth Bayer, Ruth, thank you so much for coming on the show today to talk to us about something that's, again, very important for all of us to be very mindful of. And uh, it was really an honor having you on the show. Well, thank you. I enjoyed it a lot. Fantastic. Well, for anyone who wants to follow you along online or they want to read more about you or some of the stuff you're doing, how can they go about doing that? Um, I have a website, ruthbear.com, and you can read about the book and um, other stuff I'm doing there. Ruth, thank you so much for making time for myself and for everyone out there in Cut the Crap Podcast Nation. It was a real pleasure having you on. Thank you. It was great. Appreciate it. All right, there we have it. That's the Practicing Happiness Workbook, How Mindfulness Can Free You from the Four Psychological Traps That Keep You Stressed, Anxious, and Depressed by Ruth Bayer. Good episode. Really enjoyed talking to Ruth. She provided us with some good stimulus, some good information for us to sit and think about, something to ponder about, something to just be aware about. Now, after I recorded this with Ruth, I went back over and I listened to it again because some of these things are just that important. And one of my most favorite takeaways from this episode and from a lot of podcasts is, of course, just putting yourself through some of those scenarios. Instead of having the urge to spit, just keep it in your mouth. And Instead of having the urge to eat that food, just 
don't eat that food, maybe weigh a little bit, and being able to deal with these urges, these mental exercises, it'll better allow you to deal with some of these stressors that come about in your life and give you some power. I truly love that, some psychological strength. Really, really great takeaway. That was by far my favorite takeaway, and that was something that's definitely going to spark change in my life, and I'm going to continue to do that as I already do that, but now I can do that at a smaller scale more frequently. In any case, if you love this episode, then please go online, provide me with a rating and a review. I'll make sure you get into, into the draw every quarter for a prize. Don't forget to give me a follow on Instagram, LinkedIn especially, Facebook, uh, Twitter. Give me a follow on all those platforms so you can see what I'm doing and all the crazy stuff I'm up to throughout the week, putting myself through these little challenges. Also, don't forget to go to CutTheCrapPodcast.com. Sign up for the summaries. All I need is your first name, last name, and your email. And I'll make sure you get, that gets into your inbox. All right, my friends, that is a wrap for today. So thank you so much for joining me once again on this week's episode of Cut the Grab Podcast. And I'll be back here next week. We have a brand new book, brand new golden nuggets, an interview with the author. And of course, you know I'm here doing every single week, just trying to save you a little bit of time and bring you some information that could spark real change in your life. Have a great week, everybody. I love you all. that we call life was made up by people that are no smarter than you. So build a life. Don't live one. Build one. My father could have been a great comedian, but he didn't believe that that was possible for him. I learned many great lessons from my father, not the least of which was that you can fail at what you don't want. So you might as well take a chance on doing what you love. You have to trust that the dots will somehow connect in your future. Because believing that the dots will connect down the road will give you the confidence to follow your heart even when it leads you off the well-worn path. And that will make all the difference. And it is going to get hard and you're going to want to quit sometimes, but it'll be colored by who you are and more who you want to be. I definitely found that uh, wanting to be an actor stems from wanting to be somebody. The hardest thing to listen to, your instincts, your human personal intuition, always whispers it never shouts very hard to hear so you have to every day of your lives be ready to hear what whispers in your ear it very rarely shouts and if you can listen to the whisper and it's something you think you want to do for the rest of your life then that is going to be what you do for the rest of your life and we will benefit from everything you do as far as i can tell it's just about letting the universe know what you want and working toward it while letting go of how it comes to pass. And you will need to find your passion. Find your passion and follow it. Don't give up on finding it. As you are responsible for your life, and if you're sitting around waiting on somebody to save you, to fix you, to even help you, 
you are wasting your time because only you have the power to take responsibility to move your life forward. And the sooner you get that, the sooner your life gets into gear. What matters is now, this moment, and your willingness to see this moment for what it is, accept it, forgive the past, take responsibility, and move forward. So when I think of what is the meaning of life, people ask that question on the assumption that meaning is something you can look for and then look found it. And it doesn't consider the possibility that maybe meaning in life is something that you create, you manufacture for yourself and for others. What do you desire? What makes you itch? What, how would you really enjoy spending your life?